Good morning again. Good seeing everybody. Jason's right. I did have a birthday this week. I turned 55. Yeah. I qualify for patio homes now. Don't plan on going that route, but uh, someone gave me a cup. It said, uh, it's weird to feel the same age as old people. So uh, (laughs) some of you 55 is young. Some of you 55 is really old. I know that uh, back when I was 20, I thought 55 was ancient. And uh, now I don't think so much anymore. But And then some of you that, I'd love to be 55 still. So uh, it's all relative, isn't it? Uh, But uh, praise God for his goodness. And um, thank you for some of the... Uh, warm uh, wishes and things like that, and you know, some of you had fun with it. Uh, my daughters are all college age, and I told the first service. Um, we grew up in a different age. Uh, uh, when I was in uh, high school, we didn't have cell phones and all this stuff, so they'll like record me and my wife doing mundane things, and they make these little video clips with music in the background, and they they are they crack me up because uh, it's me being me, you know. And uh, they'll get these little video clips, and they're like uh, little stitches together of just living your life. And so I'm glad that at 55 I can entertain my daughters and, uh, and be entertainment for them. And my wife and I both, uh, we're like senior citizens of the house or something. But uh, anyway, it's good to be here. Welcome if you're visiting. Welcome if you're online. Glad to have you with us as well. Uh, we did have a much bigger thing this week. Uh, our assistant pastor, Zach, who came on uh, on. January 1st, exactly a month later, little baby Zachary was born on Thursday. And I didn't expect, Zach sitting over here, I didn't expect to see him, but uh, Lisa, take the boys to church. Take the boys to church. She can have peace for the next couple of hours at, like, in the amount of time that he can get them here. Does she want you to take them to lunch afterwards, too? Like, like take as much time as you want. Uh, I'm sure her sleep's messed up, and that may, everybody else's sleep might, well, not the kids, but uh, Zach and her sleep might be messed up, but uh, he was born on February 1st. I'll never forget that day. That is my birthday, so I'll remember that for a long, long time, uh, and um, it's a blessing to, and that's was his due date. I said, because uh, they were like, he, you know, his due date's your birthday. I said, no one's born on their due date. Nobody's born on their due date. Hey, two weeks before, two weeks after, four days before, you know. He was actually born on his due, uh, exactly on his due date. So God, uh, and a month after, you know, Zach's going to share a message uh, in March, and you'll get a chance to hear all the things that got, led him up to coming back from India and serving here. But we're excited for uh, their new addition to the family. Uh, speaking of babies, on the 18th of February, I'm going to be doing a baby dedication. Uh, I love doing baby dedications. So if you have a baby, we're, we're going to have a baby dedication. So we'll have... Uh, an opportunity if you want to um, just dedicate your baby to the Lord. It's not a christening for those of you who come from a different background. Not that. Uh, they still have to someday receive Jesus as Lord and Savior on their own. But we still, just that we're dedicating them to the Lord, that we'll be praying for them. So that'll be on the 18th of February. Looking forward to that. Kind of working my way backwards. Um, on the 14th, which is a Wednesday, we will launch uh, the study in the book of Joshua. Receiving promises and taking courage. So looking forward to uh, starting a brand new study on our Wednesday nights. We'd love to have you come out. I'm aware that's Valentine's Day, uh, but I'm here to tell you that the restaurants are packed that night anyway. So go on the 13th, go on the 15th, uh, buy chocolate any day of the year. You don't have to even wait till the 14th. Uh, You can buy chocolate anytime you want. 
And uh, Hallmark, uh, you know, they, they, they'll have you thinking you've got to do it on the 14th. But uh, for us, it's Joshua Day, although the, uh, the, the middle school and the high school kids and the kids will be out doing some Valentine's things in the Mazars. When just, just as a reminder, we do have, for those of you that don't know, we have children's classes on Wednesday nights. We have middle school. We have high school classes on Wednesday night. So, uh, and on Sunday mornings, we just have the classes to kids up through 11 years of age out there. So, uh, but that'll all be going on, and we'll launch uh, the study in Joshua on the 14th. Uh, then um, we finished every Wednesday in uh, January was a prayer night, and we will have, uh, as we always do, the first Wednesday of every month. So uh, this coming Wednesday will be prayer night, but really it's because it's the first Wednesday in February. And we're going to have a really sweet time as we've been having. The Lord's really been anointing our prayer time. So we're looking forward to, if you want to fast that day of anything, fast for food, fast whatever God puts on your heart, uh, then we'll gather for prayer that night. Looking forward uh, to that. So speaking of prayer, we continue to pray for revival for our country. Jason mentioned TV or the news or YouTube. And uh, I do love this country. Uh, I love that I was born here. I, I love that I get to pastor a church here. But uh, I, I grieve for our country because we are in so much rebellion towards God, so much sin, so much idolatry, so much immorality. And, uh, and God is going to, we're, we're at a place that he's either going to bring judgment or repentance. And uh, it's, it's going to have to be one or the other. Uh, it could be a combination of both too, by the way. It could be a lot of repentance and judgment. Uh, but, uh, and I don't say that lightly. I say that uh, because I've studied the scriptures if Israel, who is the apple of his eye, was judged, our nation will surely be judged. And so, But judgment starts in the household of God. Revival is a, a work that God does in his own people. So we've been praying. And uh, it's a lot more crowded in the second service than the eight, uh, 830 service. But uh, if you are able to, if you desire to, if your knees can handle it, they can't just stay seated right where you are and pray in your heart. But we're going to get on our knees for about 30 seconds of silence. I'll try and keep it around 30 seconds for your knees' sake. And then we'll get into God's word together. Let's just pray. Father, we humbly bow before you because we know, Lord, that you are our only hope personally. You're our hope of salvation. You're the only hope for the nations. You're, only, you're the only hope for real peace. You're the only hope, Lord, for redemption, Lord. And we, we just thank you so much that you've been so gracious. Your mercies that are new every day, Lord, thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for the breath that is in our lungs. Thank you for salvation through Jesus, which we'll be looking at this morning. Lord, we just come and we humble ourselves before you. We know that you are holy and we know that we, you are holy and we are so flawed. And we just thank you, Jesus, that you apply your perfection to us by your grace. We ask that you'd wash us this morning, cleanse us this morning, breathe revival into this pulpit, into these chairs, into our hearts, into our souls, breathe revival into this church, Lord. Just purge away any lukewarmness or sin or just things that would hinder us from following you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, bring revival to our children out there in these modulars. Lord, bring 
an awakening uh, to the body of Christ in this nation. There's so much uh, apathy and lethargy and, and just asleep, Lord. We pray that you'd awaken our country to their need for salvation. Lord, there's so many that are in bondage to drugs and to alcohol and to violence and to uh, idolatry and sexual immorality and, Lord, just pride. And, Lord, there's so many sins and uh, so much division and there's still vestiges of racism and all kinds of things that we see in our country, Lord, which is the works of the flesh, and Satan loves to destroy people. So, Lord, we pray that you would open the eyes of those that are in darkness and bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus. The same we'll see with Cornelius this morning in our text. We pray for the nation of Kenya as we pray for one nation, Lord, weekly. We just lift up that African nation, Lord, and we thank you for the many that have come to faith in that country. We pray that the church is there are filled with the Holy Spirit, that they would see revival, there'd be repentance in that nation across the continent of Africa and around the world. All the cities of the world would see repentance before Jesus, you return. We pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters. We ask that, Lord, you'd intervene on their behalf. You give them your healing. You give them your peace. We ask all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, if you find your seat, turn with me to... Acts chapter 10, picking up with where we left off last week, Acts chapter 10. All right, so pick it up with me. Uh, we finished through verse 23. It's Acts chapter 10, starting verse 24. Your Bibles are open, and the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God is shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for you. I asked then, for what reason have you sent me? Let's pray again. Father, we ask now for the ministry of your Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit that was upon Peter as he spoke and preached. We ask for that same Spirit, Lord, to... Just drive away any distraction that would be in this room, those online, those in the fellowship hall. We pray that you'd quiet our minds, quiet our hearts. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us your presence in a powerful way. I ask for your anointing. As I say often, Lord, I could never do this without your help, your strength, the work of your spirit, Lord. May you uh, speak to what each and every person needs. May we have soft hearts and apply that which you share with us. And we ask these things. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Cornelius, as you kind of look back to last week, we covered the first half of this chapter. Cornelius had come to believe that the God of Israel was the true God. I've come to believe that. How about you? The God of Israel was the true God. He had, as a Gentile, begun following the Jewish law, the Mosaic law. Uh, he had a heart for Jewish people. And he had a heart for giving to and helping the poor. And God uh, saw that as he was praying, uh, God heard his prayers, and God sent an angel, and he was now going to, God was now going to introduce Cornelius to his son, Jesus. 
But that introduction was not going to happen through the angel. That task was given to the apostle Peter, who, as you know, was 30 miles south in the city of Joppa. And Peter, remember, he received his own message from heaven. This big sheet came down, bound at the four corners, all these wild animals and creatures and insects and bugs and everything on this. And it comes down, and he was told by Jesus to rise and eat. Kill and eat, actually. And uh, that all seemed very bizarre to him. It would seem bizarre to the rest of us if God sent us a vision like that. He saw it three times. It was unlike anything Peter had ever considered. And God was preparing Peter to have a heart more like Jesus. A different perspective. A deeper love for people. A broader ministry. God was going to broaden the shoulders of his ministry. And he was going to take Peter on new steps outside of his comfort zone. You ever had God take you on new steps outside your comfort zone? Yeah. If you haven't, there's a lot, there's a lot of this year left. Uh, you will <laughs> invariably have steps outside of your comfort zone, if you're going to follow in obedience, that is. But Peter, like Cornelius, obeyed God's summons on his life and in obedience. Here he now arrives at Cornelius' home. If you're taking notes, you see the title this morning, whoever believes in Jesus, a whole household comes to faith. Whoever believes, doesn't matter what their background is, if they've never been to church, they don't believe in God, if they're following another religion, whoever believes in Jesus. You remember Peter, he was a fisherman, right? He grew up in the Galilee area, uh, fished on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Peter was told that he would become what? A fisher of men, not some men, any man. God so loved the world. Uh, Peter, Peter's perspective was mostly the Jewish world, and God was going to broaden his perspective. There's a whole world out there that needs Jesus, and so Peter's going to have to write two epistles. He's going to have to learn a lot about how God is going to operate in bringing not just Jewish people to Jesus, but also Gentiles. Now back to verse 24. So it says, in the following day they entered Caesarea, now Cornelius was waiting for them, and he had called together his relatives and his close friends. The day after the three men had come down, uh, the one soldier and the two servants had come down, and they'd lodged with Peter and with Simon the Tanner. Remember, the Tanner, uh, they worked with leather. Peter and uh, a small contingent, including these three men, they arrive in Caesarea. Now, Cornelius is waiting for Peter. I mean, he is ready and waiting. He can't wait to hear what Peter has to say. He's never met Peter. Uh, we don't know how much he knew of Peter. He, as best we could tell, he knew little to nothing about Peter. Maybe he'd heard his name, because he was an apostle. Maybe he'd heard his name, but he knew nothing of him. But by faith in the angel's instructions to send for Peter, he's now waiting with expectation for Peter's arrival. And gathered with Cornelius are his family, and he gathers some of his close friends. He says, hey, hey I'm having your, this it's an apostle of God coming. He's going to speak to us. I want all of you to hear what he has to say. He not only wants it for himself, but he wants what God has to say through Peter to be heard by those he loves as well. It's interesting, and I've seen this a number of times in my years of being saved. Maybe you've seen it as well. But seeing people that did not grow up in church, that did not grow up anywhere near a Bible, that did not grow up knowing anything about God or the Scriptures... No biblical teaching, 
They'd never heard preaching. They are some of the most amazed and most enthusiastic about learning about God when they hear a glimpse of truth <laughs> that I've ever met. Then I hear people, yeah, I heard that as a kid. I, I walked away from all that stuff. Then you meet people that never heard any of it, and it's like living water to them, because it is living water. Amen. And once they've had a taste of eternal truth, a glimpse of revelation, they want more understanding of who God is. I, I pray that even if we've been saved for years, God would give us that same thirst. Amen? Amen. That we would have a new thirst, not just, you know, it just fades over time. Now, there's truth... And then there's these eternal truths. And eternal truth is one, here's, give you, here's a really big important eternal truth. This is an eternal truth. Every sinner needs Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's an eternal truth. Amen. That's an eternal truth. There's lots of other things that are true. This pulpit is brown. That's not life-changing. We can paint it white, doesn't matter. Here's another example of a non-eternal truth. Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. <laughs> Did you guys know that? You, if you've been alive at any length of time, Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. So while that's true, that's not a life-changing fact. Um, no matter how good you think their nuggets are, that's not a life-changing fact. But it is another good reason not to travel on interstates on Sundays, because that option's off the table, right? Verse 25. So that's a, that's a non-eternal truth. Eternal truths versus non-eternal truths. Lots of things are true, but they're not so life-changing. Verse 25, as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Peter finally arrives, he comes in, and Cornelius sees him, and he says, this is a man of God. Just like the way they think about the prophets in the Old Testament. He falls down and worships him at his feet. Begins to worship anyway. Now, he does this in ignorance. It's forbidden by God. He doesn't know this. He thinks he's to honor Peter this way. But he does it in innocence, and he does it also in humility. This is a man who outranks Peter in every way, shape, or form in the, in the Roman scheme of things. He outranks Peter in society, but he knows Peter is a man of God, sent by God, an apostle of God. I would say this, uh, even though his response is wrong, because he does it in innocence, but proper respect and a submissive spirit is actually severely lacking in the American church today. Severely lacking. I believe if Peter came to many churches today, that a lot of Christians today would say, we don't need to hear from you. We do whatever we want, right? And they really should listen to him. Now, nobody should bow down and worship Peter, not Cornelius, not me, not you, but a submissive spirit. You know, the Bible tells us to submit one to another. We need to have submissive spirits. A lot of marriages would be fixed if people would just have submissive spirits. I don't mean just wives submit to their husband. I mean submitting themselves one to another, loving your wife as Christ loved the church. But Cornelius had this humility. He had this submissive spirit, and he wasn't even born again yet. Isn't that amazing? He wasn't even born. He outranked Peter, and he already had this humility. He wasn't even saved yet. Verse 26 but Peter, lifting him up, saying, stand up. I myself am also a man. Peter, of course, corrects Cornelius, lifts him up. No man should ever receive worship. The scripture is very clear on that. Even an angel 
We're never to worship an angel. The Bible makes this really clear in Revelation chapter 20 and in other places too. In Revelation 19.10, and I fell at his feet. This is the Apostle John. The Apostle John doesn't know what to do. He sees an angel. John says, I should worship him. I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, see that you do not do that, exclamation point. I am your fellow servant of the brethren. So even an angel says, no, 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 don't ever worship an angel. Yeah, they're powerful. One angel could take the entire world. All the armies of the world, one angel, no problem. But don't worship even an angel. I've never had this problem because I've never had an angel come to me. So I don't have, so far, not even been a quandary at all in my life. I don't expect it either. But even if one did come to me, I wouldn't worship the angel. I'd want to know what God had to say. But both men, isn't it interesting that Cornelius, Peter had a respect for him enough to come, and Cornelius, of course, had a great respect for Peter, enough that he just falls at his feet. Regardless of rank or ethnicity, both men had a respect for one another. Not, neither should worship one another. And that's the way it should be. You and I should have a respect for everyone we meet. Even if they don't have a respect for us, we should have a respect for them because they're made in the image of God. Even if they don't know they're made in the image of God. Even if they don't believe in God. No soul is of greater value or lesser value. You've never met a person on earth that's more valuable than the other person you met. Not to God. Every single person had the same value to God. He died for every single soul. John Stott said this about just kind of Peter and uh, Cornelius. He said, Peter refused to be treated, and I'm sorry, Peter refused both to be treated by Cornelius as if he were a god and to treat Cornelius as if he were a dog. Because Peter could have said, hey, I'm the spiritual one, I'm the apostle, and you're still a Gentile, and you eat a lot of bad foods that you shouldn't eat and all this other stuff, you know, things that are not kosher and not holy and not under the law. But both men respected each other, even if they didn't quite understand everything about each other just yet. Verse 27, and as he talked with him, he went in and found many others who had gathered together. As they talk, uh, you know, Cornelius is a centurion. He probably had a, a nice home. It probably had a courtyard, and which was common in those times, a courtyard that you go into, which would be outside, then on into the main home. But Peter begins to walk. Perhaps they're walking through a courtyard. We don't know. Uh, but they're walking, just have a little bit of small talk, if you will. But then Peter walks into the home. This is a monumental step for Peter. As best we know, Peter, from the time he's a baby till now, Peter has never, ever stepped into a home of a non-Jewish person, a Gentile. He has kept himself clean to step into the home of a Gentile as the way he was taught. Of course, this was not from the Lord. This were the laws of men. The Pharisees had had many other laws to God's Mosaic law. But Peter had felt like he would be unclean to ever step foot in the home of a Gentile, a non-Jewish person. He'd grown up in a very Jewish life there in northern Galilee as well as when he'd go to Jerusalem. He'd never been in a Jewish home, I mean, in a Gentile home. So that's a monumental step. Verse 28, let's see what Peter has to say. The first thing he says, then he said to them, these are Peter's opening remarks to the gathered uh, group of Cornelius, his family, his friends. Peter's opening remarks. You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. All right, we'll stop right there. <laughs> Peter's 
speaks his first words to the assembly there of family and friends. It's not the warmest of intros. In essence, I shouldn't be here. It's unlawful for me to be here. I shouldn't be here. But then he goes on, but God. Now, there's a lot of places you'll end up and you say, I don't even know how I got here, but God got me here. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Uh, he, in essence, says, not, I shouldn't be here, but God has shown me that I shouldn't call any person. In other words, all of you gathered here, I would have called you unclean until a couple days ago. Common or unclean. Now, he also has with him, Peter has with him, we know this from verse 45, we'll get to verse 45. Peter has with him a small little contingent of other Jewish people uh, that came with him. And, and the way I think of it is Peter's like, if I'm going to get defiled, I'm bringing some of y'all to get defiled with me. Because if I have to go in there, you guys got to go in there. And since he's an apostle, he can tell us that a couple of y'all are going with me, and we're going into this house. If God's told me to go into a Gentile home, I need some witnesses that God did it. So he has a small Jewish contingent of believers, and for them, it's probably their first time ever going into a Gentile home. Uh, the whole thing was new for all of them, but just some moral support. Now, another gold nugget here from John Stott. And he says this, he goes, the principal subject of this chapter is not so much the conversion of Cornelius as the conversion of Peter. Wow. Now the reality is it's both, because Cornelius, his salvation is massive. He's a centurion, his salvation is going to lead a whole bunch of other people to get saved. Like the Ethiopian eunuch, when that Ethiopian eunuch gets saved, we're pretty confident that when he went back to Ethiopia, many other people came to faith because of his salvation. So Take it with a grain of salt. I get what John Stott is saying. Uh, yes, Cornelius' salvation is probably still the bigger picture here. But at the same time, God is changing Peter, who already is an apostle filled with the Holy Spirit, and making him more conformed to how Jesus was. Because Peter still has a lot of Peter in him. I'm 55. I still have a lot of Tim in me, right? But, and you do too, whatever age you, you still have a lot of yourself that God is still wringing you out of you, right? And so that's a process, and it takes time, but God's changing him. So we see the conversion, or the, I would better say the sanctification process of Peter. So it's certainly both, and it's massive that Cornelius has come to Christ, but it's important that Peter goes through this transformation of his thinking. That You, never, you ever thought something for years, and then you realize all of a sudden you read something, and you're like, my perspective has been a little off on this. It could be about food. It could be about your sleep pattern. It could be how you drive. And you thought you were right all this time. And it wasn't that you were in sin. You just didn't have all the facts. And so God's telling Peter, it's not that you were trying to do something sinful. You just didn't know the whole picture. And I'm showing you, yes, you were raised from a child to believe this. But, oh, by the way, I love these what you called unclean people. He's baffled. Peter's a little baffled that he's even staying in this home. You ever find yourself in a place that God's taking you, you're surprised you're there? You ever been there? You're like, how did I get here? I wouldn't have done this years ago. Right? I, I, would, you know, I, I remember before I was saved, on a Sunday, I've told you all before, my idea of a good Sunday was to sleep in, go play beach volleyball, uh, have some drinks with my friends and stuff like that, and then get ready for Monday. And then I would have never, ever saw myself not only in church, but actually standing up in the pulpit doing the church. <laughs> but God does that. He, he, he takes us to new places. He changes the way we think. Uh, he gives us a heart for things we didn't use a, used to have a heart for. And I'm sure that Peter's staying in this home, and he's a little baffled that he's staying there. 
But he's there by faith. But God told him, this is where I want you to go. And he's there to do what the Lord's asked him to do. And he says as much in verse 29. He says, therefore I came without objection. As soon as I was sent for, I asked them, for what reason have you sent me? He's there because God told him to come. God had corrected his perspective with that vision of the sheet coming down three times. The fact that Peter, who's an apostle, who the Holy Spirit's already been poured out to him. Acts chapter 2, he preaches and 3,000 get saved. And yet, here's an apostle of God who's still uncomfortable taking new steps of faith with unfamiliar people and settings that are unfamiliar. This should encourage all of us. If Peter was uncomfortable, you and I are going to be uncomfortable at times in life. Amen? It's just part of the Christian life. God is going to take us out of our comfort zone. Uh, we have a mission trip coming up. Uh, some of you that went to Guatemala last year, we've got one Another opportunity this, uh, this I think it's going to be late May, or last couple, weeks, last couple days of May into early June. Uh, if you go, there'll be times that you'll be uncomfortable. Your, your sleep won't be exactly right. The food will be different. Uh, you don't speak Spanish. Well, some of you do, but uh, those, those of you that don't speak Spanish, uh, that'll be a, a different environment, but you'll gain a heart for people that you didn't even really have a heart, or didn't even know that well, and all of a sudden you have a heart for them, and, uh, you know, I said this before, there's one thing to, uh, you know, Peter finds himself there. It's one thing to know someone's in the hospital and to throw up a prayer for them. It's another thing to go visit them. When you go visit them, your heart changes dramatically about how you pray for them. Because all of a sudden you see them face to face. And so Peter finds himself there. He says, what reason have you sent me here? Uh, what, why have you sent for me? And he asked that question. By the way, it's really important uh, when Peter asked him for what reason. Now, Peter even knows the core of why he's there, but he still asked them a question. This is important in witnessing, to ask people questions. I had an opportunity this week. I was talking to someone, uh, someone I used to work with in my prior career and just asked a few questions. It led to opportunities to share more of Jesus. You've got to just ask some questions. Hey, how can I pray for you? Hey, have you ever read this? Hey, what are you struggling with? Hey, tell me about your kids. What's going on in your family? You can ask them questions, and it op opens up an opportunity to share the gospel and then answering them from God's word, which is what Peter is going to do. Now, Cornelius responds in verse 30. Let's read it together. So Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms were remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon whose surname is Peter, he is lodging in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. So Cornelius, he recounts. I'm not going to go over. We looked at all this last week. He basically retells everything we saw last week, where he had seen this vision of an angel. Angel says, call for Peter. And basically, at the end of verse 33, he says, now we're all gathered here. We're here to hear what it is that the angel said, you're going to tell me what I must hear. Now, even though Peter had been told this by the men that were sent to him, just like I said with the hospital situation, it's totally different when Peter hears Cornelius himself. Before, Cornelius is just a name. And, and what, he's, what he, oh yeah, he saw a vision, but when you hear someone tell, I lost my daughter, I lost my job. This is what I'm going. When you hear it yourself, you have a little more compassion for where they're at. You see their soul. 
He has an eyewitness perspective. I think it impacts Peter. I think it really impacts Peter hearing Cornelius speak and how you can tell that Cornelius is longing for to hearing the truth. I mean, God served up Peter a giant softball right down the center of the plate with a bat as big. You can't miss this, right? These are good witness opportunities, right? If God gives you this kind of opportunity, all you got to do is show up and just present Jesus. And that's exactly what he does. Let's look at the text here. Verse 34, so Peter preaches what amounts to at least what Luke records. It comes out to a nine-verse message here, starting verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word which you know, which was proclaimed in all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are all witnesses of the things which he did both in the land of the Jews, in Jerusalem, whom they, uh, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed openly, not to all the people, but to the witnesses chosen before God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is he who ordained, that, he, uh, that it is he who is ordained by God to be judge of the living and of the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. So Peter stands up and he says, in truth, and I believe that this truth is sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into Peter. This is the truth that Peter's Peter's now realizing, and Peter already believed in the truth of the gospel. He already believed in the truth of Jesus. He already believed in the truth of the resurrection. This truth that Peter's now seeing more clearly is this. God doesn't show partiality. Now, Peter was already saved and was under the misguided belief that God was partial to the Jews, that he loved Jewish people more than he loved Gentiles. And now he's in truth saying, hold on, I was wrong about that. God loves those people, even if they don't wash their hands, if they don't wash their feet, if they don't do these customs, if they don't do these things that we do, if they wear their hair different, if they eat different foods, he loves them the same as me. Yes, Jesus loves me, but yes, Jesus loves them. So he says, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. It's sinking in deeper, and you and I have to believe that when we meet people, no matter how out there they are, that God loves them as much as he loves you. That's why he's put you in front of them, to be his witness, to be his communicator of, to be his bridge builder, whatever it may be. He loves the descendants. This is so important because this is in the news right now. God loves the descendants of Ishmael as much as he loves the descendants of Isaac. Amen? Amen. Amen. He made a great nation. He made many nations out of Ishmael. He made many nations out of or made one nation out of Isaac, but he made many nations out of Ishmael. But they were all the nations that came from Abraham. But God loves the descendants of Ishmael every bit as much as the descendants of Isaac. Now, does that mean that God does not have a specific plan for Israel? Not at all. God has a very specific plan for Israel. That's why Satan's been trying to wipe Israel off the map forever. 
and even right now in 2024, is still trying to wipe Israel off the map. Because God has a specific plan for Israel, that's why he tried to knock Israel out with the Egyptians, tried to do it with the Assyrians, tried to do it with the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, gone and on, the Ottoman Empire. Now, Hamas, you know, it doesn't matter. It's always get rid of, because God has a perfect plan for Israel. But the descendants of Ishmael, the descendants of Isaac, God loves them the same. There's a nation, uh, there's a nation plan that God has for Israel, but the salvation plan is the same for every person on earth. Does that make sense? The salvation, the individual heart plan is the same whether you grew up in Gaza or Jerusalem, whether you grew up in Africa or Europe, whether you grew up in Asia or South America. Same heart plan, same salvation, same salvation plan for the soul. And those that come to Christ, whether they're circumcised or not circumcised, whether they're eating kosher food or not eating kosher food, the Mosaic law or any other religion, none of that can save a person. It's only Jesus. That's what Peter is preaching. He's preaching Jesus to it. So Peter goes on, and here he preaches the gospel. And with all he can muster in these nine verses, Jesus lets it rip under the work, under the work and power of the Holy Spirit. Now we'll see in verse 44, when we get to verse 44, that the Spirit is moving mightily on Peter. And, he, and it's, you can say nine verses in your flesh, and they'll still be true, and the Word of God still won't return void. But when you say nine verses in the power of the Holy Spirit, it's like a bomb goes off. Everyone is going to be feeling the reverberation, and everyone there does, because Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I put up on the screen, these are 13 things that Peter covers in this mini-message that's a very, quite powerful. And uh, so first, he says, and this is in the order that, he, that Peter says it, and it's all uh, Jesus is the centerpiece of everything he says. Jesus was first sent to the nation of Israel. Like I said, is Israel more important than other nations? No. In one sense, no. But in another sense, yes, because God has a specific plan for Israel as a nation. Obviously, the Messiah would come through Israel, but Jesus is going to return to Israel. He's going to take up his throne, not in Tokyo, not in Moscow, not in London, not in Mecca, in Jerusalem. Make sense? So God has a specific, so he said he came first to the house of Israel. Number two there, he preached peace with God through himself. I've had people tell me, I believe in God, I don't believe in Jesus. I'm like, you can't get to God without Jesus. I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So he preached peace with God through himself, uh, through Jesus. He preached that Jesus is Lord of all. There's lots of kings, but Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords. And it's not Caesar. It's not any of the emperors, not, none of that. He preached that uh, Jesus preached and proclaimed. He, then he talks about the ministry of Jesus. Jesus preached and proclaimed after John the Baptist. So he says, everything you've heard historically about John the Baptist, all true. There really was a man named John the Baptist. He really came first. He kind of stepped out of the way, and then Jesus took center stage. Then he says, Jesus was anointed by God with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting, Jesus is God, and yet he's anointed by the power of the Spirit of God. And uh, so the overflow of God on the Son of God, who is in fact God, well, that's all beyond our comprehension. But nevertheless, he has the power of the Holy Spirit upon him. Jesus went about doing good and miracles and casting out demons. Now, this differentiated him from any other person. I can stand up and preach, but I can't heal people, can't cast out the demons, raise them. Jesus comes along and he does all of those things. Now, he was going to give some of that power to the apostles, but that hadn't come at that point. At first, he came doing these when no one else could do it. He had not given that power 
Later, he sent them two by two, and he did give some of that power. But I'm saying when he first started, this was eye-opening to everybody because only Jesus could do these things. No other man could do them. Uh, he was killed and crucified in Jerusalem. Now, this is something that Cornelius probably was well aware of. I mean, the Pilate lived in Caesarea, so he was well aware that Jesus had been killed, but it's still going to be part of the gospel. It's going to be preached then. It's going to be preached 2,000 years later. Uh, he, that Jesus was raised by God on the third day, that Jesus was, in fact, fully dead, and three days later he rose from the dead, that he appeared after his resurrection not to everybody, but to the chosen few that God had said. He had a few people, some of the apostles, some of the other disciples he appeared to. And then Jesus even ate and drank with some of the witnesses after the resurrection. Uh, Jesus ate. He, he, remember Jesus said he would not drink of the fruit of the vine. We're going to take the Lord's Supper in a few minutes. Jesus said he would not drink anything that came from the vine, so grape juice, wine, until the marriage supper of the Lamb. But he did eat after the resurrection. He ate some honeycomb. He ate some fish. For you vegetarians, just saying. But anyway, uh, he ate those things. So uh, he did eat with them. And so he was fully raised from the dead, but he was able to walk through walls because he just appeared to them, but he actually ate physical food at the same time. So in our resurrected bodies, we're going to be able to eat and enjoy things, but we're actually going to have a totally new, new composition. So that he ate and drank with them. And they saw him, they touched him, they, they saw the snail pierced uh, scars in his hands and his feet. And he commanded the apostles uh, to go teach and testify that Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. This is a really important. We live in a time right now, you probably watch the news. Uh, in America, we've got some cities, you can commit a crime, there's no bail, you're right back out on the streets within like a couple hours, right? Unbelievable that we actually have. This is, this is, a way to, this is one of many ways we're destroying our own society. Uh, but that notwithstanding, there will come a day when everyone will stand before God and there's no bail. There's not even an opportunity to post bail. Uh, there is judgment and everyone will give an account for everything, that not just crimes they've committed, but thoughts they've thought, things they've said, harbored uh, you know, just kind of vengeance or attitudes towards people, and Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead. So nobody will get away with anything at the end of the age, and which is always comforting when you see injustices. You're like, God will someday balance every scale. So, but you need to be ready personally because Everyone's going to have to stand before Jesus face to face. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue will confess. And then he says Jesus' life was foretold in the Scriptures. So he said everything that Jesus did, it's not that he just showed up. It was all foretold in the very Scriptures that were available to Cornelius. Because remember, the New Testament wasn't written at this time. He would have opened up the scrolls from Genesis to Malachi. And he said everything in the life of Jesus was told by Isaiah and Jeremiah, and Daniel, and Moses, and David, and they foretold, and then Jesus comes along and fulfilled every single thing to the letter. He's the lamb in Isaiah 53. So he said all these things were foretold. And then lastly, salvation is only through his name. You can only, Jesus, and only through him can we find redemption. So there's not another way. And, and Cornelius had already come to believe that the God of Israel was the true and living God, not the Roman gods of all the, you know, the, the, uh, Jupiter and Apollo and all these different things. He said, I know that God is the true and living God, but he's saying even more important, and that's important, but you need to know that the way to God is through the name of Jesus. He is, and you can see it in the last verse, verse 43 there, 
that we just read. Uh, through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. That's the only way our sins can be forgiven. You can't say enough rosaries. You can't go to church. You can't light candles. None of those things will save you. Those are just religious practices. It's the name of Jesus, the power of the resurrection. So there's only salvation in his name. Verse 44, and uh, we've got just these last few verses. While Peter was still speaking, these things are these words. The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. You've got to love it. God brings Peter's gospel message to a close. God sent him there. God says, here's what to say, and I'll tell you when to shut up, too, by the way. And I, I appreciate this, because God can tell me, all right, it's time to zip it. It's just, leave, just leave it there, laying there, let it. But he didn't even do that. He was still talking. Peter's like, I, I, I was still finishing a sentence, and the Holy Spirit comes rushing upon uh, but the Holy Spirit says that'll be enough. While Peter is still speaking, the Holy Spirit falls on all those that heard the gospel. This is so important for pastors and uh, teachers and anyone that speaks uh, for the Word of God. No one that speaks or preaches or teaches is ever to be preaching or teaching to be heard, to be liked, to be affirmed, to sell more books, to have more Twitter, uh, Instagram followers, or all the nonsense that's out there. None of that matters. You're to preach for one reason, that God is glorified, that the Holy Spirit would come upon people, and that lives be transformed. It has nothing to do. Peter wasn't there to get a better name, to become more popular in Caesarea. And God's like, matter of fact, while you're still speaking, I'm going to do the big important part, and that is to open their eyes and open their hearts, and the Holy Spirit falls it's always that God is glorified and that lives are transformed. But at the same time, if teaching and preaching really is anointed, you know, like I've said before, I don't ever want to be in this pulpit without the anointing of the Lord. I mean, I, it's a sacred thing. If your teaching and preaching really is anointed, then it's going to bring the conviction of the Holy Spirit and that lives are going to be either drawn to God and changed and transformed by the Spirit if it really is anointed. And here... As well, we see this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 45 and 46. And those of the circumcision, this is the Jewish little contingent that Peter brought with him, the group that says, hey, you guys got to have my backs. If I'm going in this house, you got to come with me. So it says, and those of the circumcision who believe were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speaking with tongues and magnify God. So this Jewish believer, the circumcised believers, the Jewish believers that came along with Peter, they're amazed, they're astonished, they're taken aback that what took place at Pentecost back in Acts chapter 2, which was all on Jewish believers. Remember, they were Jews from all over the nations. They were Jews that came from Egypt and Syria and Jordan. and you know, Jordan didn't exist then, but you know what I'm saying, the area. And so they... Um, they were, all believer, they were all Jewish, I should say, at Pentecost. But here, these are Gentiles. And they're amazed that what had been poured out at Pentecost was taking place here in Caesarea, albeit a much smaller audience, because this is all fitting in one house. What had took place at Pentecost was a multitude all around the temple area. But this is a smaller gathering. But nonetheless, the outpouring is very similar, not exactly the same, but similar to what took place at Pentecost. And so this outpouring takes place on the Gentiles. Now, the Jewish believers that are there with, uh, that are there with um, 
Peter, even if this small Jewish believer group, let's say it's 10 people, even if they had heard, for example, of the Samaritans that had come to Christ when Philip went there. Remember, Philip goes there, he preaches Christ, and the whole city repented. Even if they had heard of that, even if they had heard of the Ethiopian eunuch, and Philip said, hey, God transported me to this chariot, I preached the gospel, this Ethiopian ruler, he gets saved, uh, he's baptized that same day, even if they heard that, if they heard what Peter or what Philip had done in other cities, if they had heard other Gentiles being saved, they would have believed, okay, God is bringing salvation to the Gentiles. It said in the scripture that he would be a light to the Gentiles. But they still had in their minds that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that took place at Pentecost, this just mighty rushing wind, remember the little clothes of, of fire that were on the head, this, this kind of outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the miracles that took place that were drenched to the Holy Spirit there at Pentecost, they thought that that was only reserved for Jewish believers. That was their mindset. That's why they're astonished. That's, that's what the text is saying. They could not believe. They said, all right, we understand that God would pour out this outpouring on Jews in Jerusalem, but not Gentiles in Caesarea. He might save them. Okay, yes, they get heaven, but they don't get this kind of work of the Spirit. So they thought it was reserved for the Jewish believers, but it wasn't. It wasn't just reserved for Jews. It was also available to Gentile, non-Jewish people, which is the majority of the world, by the way. If it was only for Jews, then a tiny, tiny people could ever receive this outpouring. But 8 billion people we have today, the vast majority, 99.9% .9 are not Jewish, right? So it's really pretty important that it wouldn't be just uh, for those that are Jewish. But yet, this event is in and of itself, it was still very unique. That makes sense? This isn't a normal thing. It's a very unique thing in what God does. Just this Pentecost was very unique. There's not like a hundred different Pentecosts. There's very few outpourings like that. And Pentecost is singularly unique in some ways. And this is very unique. Uh, this coming upon and receiving the Holy Spirit was a twofold work. So the reception of the Spirit is one part, but the coming on of the Spirit is another part. So let me break this down in our last few minutes together. Um, there's a lot of, how many of you heard teachings on the Holy Spirit somewhere in your lifetime? And how many of them conflicted with each other? Like a lot, right? <laughs> like, like this denomination teaches this, this one teaches this, this one teaches this, uh, this one says there is no tongue, this one says there is tongue, this one says you've got to speak tongues to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this one says you don't have to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I go on and on, right? It's a laundry list of differences in views, now, I can't clear all of that up in the last few minutes. But what I do want to do is just say what the Scriptures say and, and, and let it land as God wrote it and let, it, let God just show you. This is what it says, and maybe it kind of, like Peter, he had his thinking corrected a little bit. He wasn't in sin, but he just had a little bit better vision. Number one, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, anyone, anyone, I don't care if they have any doctrinal understanding whatsoever, if they get saved, I don't care if they're in Hungary or Italy or Africa or Asia. They get saved. They receive the forgiveness of sins, and they immediately receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? They receive the Holy Spirit. How do we know this? Scripture itself. Numerous verses, but here's one of them. He has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. There's other verses, too. There's some in Romans and other places. So anyone that gets saved receives the Holy Spirit. Even if they don't know what the Holy Spirit is, they receive the Holy Spirit. Never taught about it, they're still receiving the Holy Spirit. 
Number two, there is a second work of the Holy Spirit called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the immersion of the Spirit. It's to be fully drenched by the Spirit. The Spirit poured out upon us as opposed to the Spirit in and sealing us. Do you see the difference? Inward, then you have this outward, the Holy Spirit pouring upon us. Uh, this coming Wednesday, we'll have our, another prayer night, as you know. And I'm going to offer in the prayer night for those that say, hey, I want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Look, by the way, me or no one else can give you the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We lay hands on and pray that God would baptize you in the Holy Spirit. I, I can't baptize someone in the Holy Spirit, but I can pray that you would, I can't heal anyone. I pray that you would be healed. I had a couple of people in the first service came and say, hey, you prayed last week, and we had these prayers answered. We can pray, but God answers prayers, right? And if someone says, I really want all, it's not the, Chuck, Pastor Chuck used to say, that baptism in the Holy Spirit is not um, you getting more of God, it's God getting more of you. you know? So he just all of a sudden has all of you and immerses you. But you know, that's something that we, we would desire to have an outpour of the Holy Spirit. We desire to be drenched in the Spirit. We desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's a second work. Now what happened in Caesarea, as I mentioned, was really unique. Because God doesn't always do things the exact same way every time. Salvation is always the same in the sense that someone has to be forgiven, they have to confess, and they receive the Holy Spirit. But other things God does, he does not do them always the exact same time in the exact same way. This was very unique. On Pentecost, for example, when you're at Pentecost, the apostles were the ones that received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But they had already received the inward seal of the Spirit. How do we know that? Because... Well, Jesus already breathed upon him. Look at John. Look at the screen. It's uh, on the screen. John chapter twenty, verse twenty-two. And when he had said this, he breathed on and said to them, "Receive the Holy Spirit." This was well before Pentecost. They had already received the indwelling seal of the Spirit. That was the reception of the Helper that Jesus had promised in the upper room. I will send you the Helper. He'll teach you what to say, help you bring to remembrance what to say. He'll help you know what you should be doing. That's The Holy Spirit will tell me, hey, I want you to kind of stop and get on your knees and pray. That's the inward work of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost was another 50 days after this, because this was the very night of the resurrection. He appealed to them in the upper room. Uh, so 50 days later, they received the immersion or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They already had the Holy Spirit. They received, he said, wait till you receive power from on high, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, to be my, what? Witnesses. So they would receive power for ministry, the overflow of the Spirit. And at the same time, there was another thing that happened. The church was baptized into the Spirit. Does that make sense? So you have the at-large church was baptized in the Spirit, but the individual apostles who already had the Holy Spirit were given the overflow of the Spirit. I hope all this is making sense in a short period of time. But then you have, the Spirit can give special gifts and specific gifts and power to whoever the Spirit desires, right? He can give specific gifts to, and in the Apostles' case, that same day at Pentecost, when they receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they would speak in Hebrew and everyone would hear them in a hundred different languages, right? This would be really cool for my travel purposes. How about you, right? I would love this. No more Duolingo, none of this stuff. I speak in English, you hear me in Italian, or you hear me in Mandarin, or whatever it may be. That would be really great, but that was a unique moment. The Holy Spirit poured out that gift for that moment. And so they had, in that moment, they had a gift of tongues, which was different. It was a tongues 
of multiple languages, and the linguistics tongue, if you will. Uh, but the uniqueness here with Cornelius and his household and the other Gentiles there, they receive the seal of the Spirit, but unlike Pentecost where people got saved that day, they didn't receive the baptism necessarily. The apostles received the baptism. Here, the household receives salvation and the baptism at the exact same time, but that is not a formula. That is not all throughout the New Testament. God can do it that way, but doesn't always do it that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. He can save and baptize at the same time, but he does not always save and baptize. Sometimes later, most often, people receive a baptism of the Holy Spirit later. D.L. Moody's was later. Billy Grahams was later. And they had already done amazing work for God in the power of the Holy Spirit, but then received the baptism at a later point. You can actually read their testimonies and listen to them. Um, so here, uh, they... Uh, they begin to speak in tongues, but they're not speaking other languages. They're speaking something only God can hear. It says they spoke and they heard them speak tongues and magnify God. At Pentecost, the gift of tongues was languages to multiple languages and people from different countries. Here, it's an unknown tongue to magnify uh, God himself. And we know that this is more of a praise and prayer kind of tongue. This is consistent with 1 Corinthians 14 too. Amen. Remember, no matter what you've heard, I'm just showing what the Bible says. Re Whatever you've heard in the past, this is what it actually says. 1 Corinthians 14, 2. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mystery. So there really is, there can be an unknown tongue, and there can be God give you the gift of languages. You can speak multiple languages. He can do both. Uh, but the spirit can give this gift of mystery, a mastery of languages. George Mueller had it. Paul had it. Paul could speak multiple languages, which we believe was a gift that God had given him. But he also, Paul had, had a prayer and praise language that he prayed just to God, which we will also call tongues. And by the way, you can get a gift of languages or an unknown tongue, or you can get both or neither. And don't feel that God doesn't love you if you get neither, because he'll give you another gift. Because there's gifts like faith, wisdom, discernment, teaching, so there's other gifts that he gives, and they're not, one's not more valuable than the other. This is a problem with people. Jesus said, don't compare yourselves one to another. If someone else has a prayer language, they're not more spiritual than you. You might have more faith in them. So you might have the gift of faith. And so we have to understand, accept what the Bible says, not try and make it fit it into this denominational box or this denominational box or this teaching. Just go with what it says and then say, God, I... There's things about this. And by the way, there's things about all this that none of us will understand until we get to heaven. How about that? Amen. On top of all of that, there's another layer that God said, none of y'all are going to get it. So just accept it. Now, all Christians, as I bring this to a close, all Christians are to produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is different than the gifts of the Spirit. All Christians are to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, the gifts differ. God gives different gifts to different people. But the fruit of the Spirit... Peace, love, joy. Everyone is supposed to produce that fruit. And it's actually the most important fruit. Because if that is effervescent, it's a fragrance that draws people to Jesus. Does that make sense? They're not impressed at your tongues. But they'll be impressed that you love. That's why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love actually out-trumps all that other stuff anyway. It's been said that the fruit of the Spirit is the cake. And the gifts of the Spirit are the icing. And God puts it all together, right? The fruit of the Spirit is the cake, and the gifts of the Spirit are the icing. I prefer cake over icing anyway, so I'm good with that. We're all supposed to be the cake. But God puts it all together perfectly. And by the way, 
Here's another thing that may be new news to some, may, may, not, may not be new news to everybody, but you can receive gifts for a period of time and God take them away and later you don't have those gifts anymore. I'll give you a tangible human life example of this. If someone gives you the gift of lunch, which people have done for me before, that gift is gone when I get up from the table. I might have enjoyed it. I had my tacos. It was great. But that gift is over. But if someone gives me a gift that's not lunch, that's something tangible. Like someone gave me this Bible like six years ago. I didn't buy it. Leather Bible says I'm in great condition. I'm still teaching, preaching, reading out of it six or seven years later. This gift, lunch was just as nice for me, but that's gone. But this Bible continues on. So God may give you one gift that, yeah, I want you to have this gift for the next 30 years. This one gift, you're only going to have it for a week for that mission trip, and it's over. That's the way he can do that. I mean, just saying, it's however God chooses. They might have never spoken tongues ever again after this moment. Or they may have had it as a prayer language the rest of their life. We don't know. But I've met people in both camps that hey, I had this gift for a period of time. My friend Sam Nadler, you guys have met Sam. He said he used to have the gift of evangelism. But then God transitioned his gift to shepherding and teaching. So it, uh, it's just something that God does. He has the right to kind of do what he wants uh, for a season. But he, all, he wants all of us to have the fruit of the Spirit, that the fruit of the Spirit should be uh, flowing from our lives. Last two verses, we've got to bring it to a close. And Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days so these last two verses, and the end of verse 46 as well, Peter has gone from uncomfortable servant of God in the house to obedient preacher to now enthusiastic cheerleader, supporter, encourager, and brother of Christ. He has gone from uncomfortable to preaching on fire to he is the biggest cheerleader of Cornelius and his whole Gentile contingent. Um, and he says to them, Peter's like, now who in the world would forget, who in the world would forbid these to be baptized? And his Jewish friend said, you would have about an hour ago. <laughs> That's kind of the way I read it. Peter's like, who would forbid them? They're like, Peter would have. You know, he's, the whole way up here, he's like, I cannot believe that we're, we're going into this Gentile house. And so here he is, all oh, he's fired up, he's happy for them. He, why in the world would anyone forbid them to be baptized? Now, even though he should have already known this. Uh, Jesus had already said in Matthew chapter 28, it's up on the screen, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, that includes Gentiles, baptizing them. Who would forbid them to be baptized? Jesus already said to baptize everyone from every nation that would come to Christ. And, but, you know, you can know things and God shows you you forgot things, right? Like, you know them intellectually, but you don't walk in them. And God's like, you need to remember this. I already told you that you're going to be baptizing people from other nations. And so here he says, who would forbid them? They've received the Holy Spirit. That's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about the outpouring. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit, just as we have. In other words, they've received the seal of salvation. But here as we close this, sometimes even apostles missed some obvious details. Sometimes even apostles had to take new steps outside their comfort zone. Um, and one last closing important doctrinal distinction uh, here. He says, can anyone forbid them to be baptized? They have already received the Spirit. You do not get saved because of baptism. Amen. You get baptized because you're saved. Amen. You do not get saved because of baptism. <laughs> baptism. You get baptized because you're saved, right? right? He said, 
They've received, so they should be baptized. Now, I am concerned when people say, hey, I'm a Christian, and I say, why don't you get baptized? I don't want to do that. That's a concern of mine, because if you're really saved, you would want to be baptized. You would want to follow those footsteps of Jesus. You should desire. Uh, but baptism doesn't save you. The thief on the cross wasn't baptized, and we know he went straight to paradise with Jesus. So it's very important. That doctrine is right there. If you ever meet a person that says, no, if you don't get baptized, you can uh, you can't be saved. Show them the last two verses of Acts chapter 10. Just show them the Bible say, look, they're already saved. Now they get baptized. Baptism did not save them. It is that outward expression that I have been saved and I want to follow Jesus and I want the world to know that I'm following the Lord. So it's a glorious scene, though, as we uh, close here. You have a Roman centurion. You have the entire household comes to Christ. Uh, the friends got saved all the same day. They received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, this work and this immersion of the Holy Spirit. You now have Jews, Romans, soldiers, servants, apostles, all kinds of people from walk of life, all in one family of God. And that's what Jesus does. Whoever, these are the fish that God has put into the net that Peter didn't even know he was going to cast. And he can do that with you and I too. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again for this time in your word. And now as we take of your uh, elements to remember your death and resurrection, we pray, Lord, that you would bless and anoint this time as well as you have with your word and worship. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close just taking these elements of the Lord's Supper. If you did not get them when you came in, raise your hand. We're glad to, uh, the uh, ushers will put one in your hand. Jackson's just going to play softly. And I would just ask you to just take a moment to Reflect on your own relationship with Jesus. Thank him for shedding his blood for you. Thank him for his remission of sin. And uh, if you have things that you need to get right with the Lord, just lay them at the foot of the cross. Say, Lord, forgive me for these things that I, that I have been uh, doing that are in uh, conflict with your holiness and your righteousness. And he's faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. If you don't know Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Uh, you can pray even right now. You can ask him to be your Lord and Savior. You can ask him to come in and wash you and cleanse you and save you. And if you have questions after the service, myself or uh, any of the uh, men or women here that, uh, that would love to help you and answer questions for you, but you can ask him to be your Lord and Savior. You can just pray in your heart right now, Lord Jesus, please come in and wash me and save me and and forgive me and be the Lord of my life. He can save you. You can take these elements, but I, you have to do it with a, a real step of faith. You have to really be turning to him, and uh, he can do that. But just take a moment to reflect as Jackson plays quietly, and then we'll take these elements together.
Jesus had um, gathered the 11, because Judas had left the room um, that night in the upper room, and he gathered the 11 there, and, and uh, he had already prepared, or he had oversaw the eating of the Passover meal with them, and, and that night uh, they didn't know that he was going to the cross, they didn't know that uh, the following morning he would be uh, hanging on a cross and shedding his blood, and but then as he is presiding over that meal, they, you know, they, from the time they were kids, they just, they thought it was about, and it was, they thought it was about the exodus and uh, the blood that was put on the doorpost and uh, Israel escaped the oppression of Egypt and they come out of bondage and, and they were delivered from Pharaoh and, but they didn't realize that that blood was of the lamb was about the coming lamb of God. They didn't know that Jesus was the Passover lamb. They did not realize that the whole bread and wine was his body and his blood. It was a foreshadow. It was, it was pointing towards uh, the Messiah to come. They, he was revealing all that to them. That's why the book of Revelation is called the revelation of Jesus Christ. But the night of the Passover itself was a revelation that the Passover meal, although it was certainly about the exodus of Israel, it had a wider, a deeper, a more eternal meaning in the fact that Jesus was the Passover lamb and that the, the escape is not escape from Egypt, but escape from death and hell and that God brings us out of death into life. And so all of that was still, they didn't realize these things until after he rose from the dead. Then it all made sense to them what he had said. And so we can take it for granted when we take these out. Oh, of course that's what it means. But we're looking back on it now. But that night they did not see those things. Uh, but when we take these elements, it's just important that Jesus said, I want you to do this until I return, to remember that we have to take time to reflect and say, thank you for giving your body for me. Thank you for shedding your blood for me. Thank you for dying on a cross uh, for me because you and I couldn't work our way to heaven. Uh, the best day you've ever lived, the day you thought you did ha a half a sin all day, wouldn't get you into heaven. Amen. Wouldn't even get you a second into heaven. So we need the blood and the sacrifice and the redemption that's only found in Jesus. So let me pray and then we'll take these elements together and uh, just do as the Lord has commanded us to do. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming. We thank you for giving your life a ransom for our sins. We thank you that you lived a sinless life. We thank you that you willingly died and uh, were crucified. You suffered and were tortured for our sins. And Lord, uh, forgive us if we have neglected so great a salvation, if we've even, uh, Lord, not appreciated what you've done. We, we ask that you forgive us for all of those things. And any other things that are in our hearts, we ask that you'd wash us and cleanse us we pray, Lord, that uh, you would receive this as an act of worship, that we, Lord, we want to live them in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, thank you, Lord Jesus, that as we take these elements, that you are well pleased, and that you keep us in remembrance of these things, not just today, but in the coming days of this week and the coming months of this year. And we thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to give your life for us. And we just ask that your Spirit would live through us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.